So I want to open up with uh, a question. And what I want to ask is, how many of y'all are like already kicked off y'all summer? Like y'all summers are like, yeah, there you go. So anyways, so how many of y'all have already started Netflix? Like y'all already like, yeah. Anyone finish a whole series yet? There we go. Anyone read uh, all of, uh, like, any, any Gospels? Anyone read? Yeah, there you go. No, no, that's not part of the lesson. I'm not here to convict you or anything at all. Um, that has nothing to do with Reese. I promised Reese that I was going to ask that. He doesn't know, but I promised it to him. So uh, I want to open us up into uh, the, the message that I have for tonight just with prayer. So if y'all could just bow y'all's heads and close y'all's eyes with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for just the opportunity of us being here, God, to be able to serve you, to get to know you more, um, to, to ask questions within ourselves and figure out who we truly are, God. I ask you to open up the eyes and the ears of those that are sitting in here, God, that they get to understand who you are a little bit more and get, to, uh, get closer to who you are, God. And through this, that someone um, will, will be touched by the words you say through me, God, and take it home. Lord, bless tonight, God. And it's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. So recently, while I was scrolling through a bunch of YouTube videos that I usually do really, really late at night or super early in the morning, um, I found a really cool, interesting YouTube video of an article that I could not find, but I found the video, and it was about thoroughbred racehorses. And that sounds super fun, right? Yeah, I don't know. I clicked it. So... So stay with me during this article. It'll play a really huge role towards the end of, um, of tonight. Plus, I mean, I'm not horsing around when I say it's really important. So, so thoroughbred racehorses, otherwise known as blood horses. Now, these blood horses are some of the most expensive breeds of horses today in the horse market. Yes, there is a horse market. I don't know. I, I, this YouTube is amazing. And so there's the thoroughbred racehorses, and then over here there are the, um, the, the, the blood agents, and their names are bloodstock agents, which means, I mean, to me it sounded like a backup side name to the villain group on Twilight. Some of y'all will understand that. I know Madeline does. Um, I promised myself many moons ago that I would never Google anything with Twilight. So I don't know. But the bloodstock agents... The one thing about the bloodstock agents is that they do not deal in, in, uh, in the horses at all. They don't deal in the breeds of the horses. They deal in the blood. And hint the name, bloodstock agent. Um, the, the bloodstock agents, they don't care about the color of the horse or if it's pretty or if it's ugly or if it's really, really, really dumb or if it's really, really, really smart. They don't care about any features about the horse, just its bloodline. Um, and... They started to list in this article the genealogy of the horse and like just the science behind the horse and gave a lot of statistics, evaluations, records of researches um, to produce the quality colt. I didn't want to list any of that because it's really, really long. It went from this to this for today. So um, it, it's, it can kind of get confusing. But basically, for those of y'all that don't know, a colt is a baby horse. Girls would probably call it horsey with like three E's and a few Y's in there. Um, it's basically like a big horse, but really small. And so the process continues. Information is studied to figure out um, the, the biochemical analysis to figure out its bone structure, its muscle mass, all the way up to um, the size of its bones, the size of its heart, the size of its um, kidneys and lungs and everything. It goes all the way to the T. They look at the muscle mass and which ultimately allows them to predetermine the efficiency and the effectiveness and the value 
of the horse, of the racehorse. Now, the bloodstock agents, they, they sound kind of like weird and bad, but they're actually the ones that like help all of this process. Um, they, they provide the, the equipment to, um, they literally put this in a computer and recreate, and, well, not even recreate because the horse hasn't been created. They make this horse into this program to where you can literally see all the way up to the day it dies. Um, they, they use all of this equipment that they have and invest so much in this because they, want to, they, they know what is going to be produced from the mom and from the dad. And let, let's look at why they choose the colt's parents. So for a healthy mare, which is a woman horse, it's kind of like a unicorn just without the horn, and to breed with a healthy stallion, which is a man horse, it's kind of like a pegasus just without the wings, and to, to form this colt, which is like a baby horse, it's the one that's kind of like a donkey, but it's a horse version, um, it costs a lot of money to do this process. It's like over a million dollars, $600,000 to buy the colt um, after it's born. So with this, you get no guarantee on its true outcome at all. You get no guarantee. It's not born yet. Um, they, 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 they see the colt when it's born, and the bloodstock agents get people to come and look at the horse, uh, the colt. And they look at the clouded eyes, the weakness in the legs and in the knees, um, stumbles on a sense of directions, ears flop down, balance covered with a blanket of weakness, and the bloodstock agent looks at that little colt and goes, yeah, uh, and takes out his checkbook and writes $400,000 right for that colt. And, and here's the part that kind of shocked me and made me want to use this for tonight and really kind of touched my heart is because seeing the colt at its greatest weakness, the bloodstock agent, they aren't put off by its temporary weakness right there in that moment at all. They aren't. But they know and understand their bloodline that, that they're being inherited with and that the bloodline that they're actually buying. They're buying the bloodline. They're not buying the physical aspect of that horse right there. He's not purchasing present achievements of that weak little colt. He's purchasing uh, past bloodline achievements solely valued by its predecessor's history. The value is from the bloodline that it comes from. And so he may look pitiful and weak, never have roses around its neck, never going to be as fast or as strong or as big or, or, or as, um, as much as a winner, looked really defeated. And in that moment, uh, the blood stock donors know that in that moment they can overcome anything that kind of sets in their ways because their very bloodline is the blood that will overcome all the weaknesses and the breeders know it because they bred it for that if that makes sense. I hope y'all are still with me on this. Um, I, like I said, it's a lot. And before it's even produced, there's a purpose and a plan. And before he's born, the bloodstock agent sees him overcoming all weaknesses he could ever think of, every scenario, every possibility, every interaction that it will have, an obstacle that it will face. They study the outcomes. They understand what this um, cult is going to be. And what they studied was what's in the cult. What's the parents like, what them themselves as the creator know that there's human error and there's a possibility, possibility that this cult will not be produce, producing a really strong stallion, but they take that chance because they have this thing called faith. They have this thing where they predetermine whether or not if it's going to be successful or not. Now, with all that being said, looking into um, reading all of this and listening to this video, it brought up a few questions to me that I wanted to share with y'all tonight. What is in our bloodline that makes us valuable? What is consistent in our links of our chain of DNA? 
And does this affect us? Are we, are we defined by the things that we are created from? And, and I would say, and I think, yes, we can be defined by them. Noticing that our bloodline can sometimes define us through our, our childhood, and it seems to be able to define us in, in our everyday um, interactions with each other, it sometimes can write out our victories and our defeats before the battles even come, if that makes sense. It defines our significance and ultimately controls our self-esteem, our worth, and our behavior. And I'll read that one more time because I really want you all to catch this. I put, it defines our significance. Once we understand our significance, that ultimately controls our self-esteem, our worth, and our behavior. Our behavior is one of the biggest parts. That's how you can tell um, when their bloodline is affecting them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to examine our bloodline. Um, that's what I feel like that, that I needed to do. Uh, that's what I felt like I did do during the video um, and the article. And I, and I listened to this and preparing this, it made me look deeper into this. And it'll sound kind of silly saying like we're looking in where we come from. Um, but there can be more into that. So we're going to look at the significance in all of this in these three categories. And it's going to be the good in our blood, the bad in our blood, and the God in our blood. And so, we'll, um, and I know we're using the word blood a lot, and I know it's kind of weird, but let's try to like get rid of the negative connotation uh, attached to this word blood, and um, it doesn't defeat the purpose, and it doesn't only deserve a negative connotation. Let's try to look at it, uh, what it how it can truly play a pivotal role on uh, who we are and how we're affected. And so the good in our blood, and with this one, I want to uh, share a story with you all that happened like literally a couple weeks ago. So my parents recently decided to do a DNA test, which sounds super fun. It costs as much as a, pe- a dinner at Peasant Village, I bet. And um, they really wanted to see where they came from. They wanted to know what they were connected to. And, and to be honest, I was kind of scared for some reason because I thought it was going to be like this like criminal minds cold case where they were going to like secretly be like, hey, this is a good way to tell Andrew he's adopted, right? And I was like, oh, man, this is going to suck. And so it literally, in my head, I was like, oh, man, you know, that would be a really, really brilliant, extremely good way to tell me I was adopted. I don't look anything like them. And so um, with that, and honestly, I don't, I don't think I look like them at all. I kind of look like Asian, Mexican, Samoan, Andrew. And then they look just flat-out Mexican. I look like Moana's long-lost brother, probably. And so anyways, so they did this test, and they got the results uh, a couple uh, weeks later. And... Searching for the good in their, in, their, in their blood to either boast about it or to, to find the bad in their blood to, um, to maybe be ashamed, the possibilities were both there. They were both equally um, able to be achieved right there in that, in that moment. Whenever my mom, I asked her, I was like, oh, so, so where do we come from? Who do, who's like connected in our bloodline? She's like, well, Andrew. And I was like, oh, no, here he comes. And she's like, no, uh, they, we found out we're like a lot of Native American, which was pretty cool. So whatever that means. And so in all of this, I I still felt pretty scared for some reason. Because towards the end of them explaining this to me, um, I felt things, I felt like there was like a huge curtain like revealing like, this is who you are. And I was like, whoa, I had no idea. And it had an effect on me. I don't know if it was like, and I still don't know if it was good or bad, but it had an effect. And so just to like bring up the question to think about where we come from, um, we don't even know anyone in our bloodline, like two or three or four generations above us. 
We, like, literally, some of us only know our grandparents and our great-grandparents, but we've never met our great-great-great-grandpa or grandma. And so it kind of feels weird to be defined by or, like, to feel and to see all of that. And, um, and it, it, I think, for me, it was more of a reason of not knowing was kind of comfortable for some reason, but knowing was a, like, kind of uncomfortable. And I, I still don't know why, but then I remembered something within the Bible that I've seen used many times, is the Bible is filled with bloodlines, a lot of bloodlines, um, more than timelines. It uses bloodlines almost as a replacement of timelines, if that makes any sense. Um, I'll give you an example. Things like the son of Abraham, or the, the great, great, great grandson of David, or how it's used numerous times, like in Matthew 1, um, verse 1 through 17. Um, there, there's really, really long, I think it's 14 generations that are listed, all the way to establish the descent of Jesus Christ. And it goes all the way from Abraham. And it's this link. It's this um, connection. And it literally lists, like, I think, multiple verses. And I remember looking at that, and, and I was, like, asking the question to myself, there has to be a significance to this. There has to, this has to mean something that there's th- this many generations listed, but no time. It doesn't say 50 years ago, 100 years ago, um, 200 years ago. It says son and father of, cousin of, and I I just thought of the question, I just thought of like, it doesn't say that these men were also controlled by their past either. It doesn't say that nowhere in the Bible that the past or the the previous generation or their father or their great-great-great-grandfather before them affected their lives and their daily. And the thing that I noticed the most was it just shows where they come from and who they come from. For y'all, it'll be on the side. From where they come from and who they come from, all the way to who it ends with. And it's always God and Jesus Christ. And I've noticed that. And it's really cool to see. Um, reading throughout the Bible, you can find many more uh, examples of that. And it's really interesting. So, talking about the good in our blood, there is, uh, it can be beneficial, but it's, I think I have a slide here, Yeah. Now, good in our blood is beneficial, but it's not the thing that saves us. And I hope y'all can catch, if, if anything, and I hope y'all are taking notes to write some of these uh, slides down, that the, the good in our blood, it is beneficial. It can be. We have great parents. We have great grandparents. Um, some of us, we have great, great, great grandparents that help establish where we are right now or where our family is right now. And that, that can be good. It is beneficial, but it's not the thing that saves us. And it brings up the question to me, like, is it good or God? And there's a book by John Bevere. It's a really, really good book. It's a little bit more on morality, but you should still read it. It covers a little bit of this stuff. And it's called Good or God. And ultimately, it brings me the question of God, godly actions um, versus good actions. And there is similarities and there are, there are differences between godly actions and good actions. And... Which ultimately means that Christ as Lord and Savior is the only thing that can, that can save us, that we're saved by. That's the biggest difference between those two. And like me, we were raised with like good blood or when it comes to like families or Christian, uh, Christian families, we were raised with going to church and surrounded by people who knew everything that there was to talk about. Um, and and to, to, to know the difference between godly good and, and godly actions versus just regular actions. These people knew these things and... And some of us, like me, we also just went to church to kind of just go to church. We also, like, for me, I started off, um, I, 
we were kind of like born in a church for me and my family because I was born and like a year later we moved inside of this like room in our old church that they built into like an apartment, which is really cool. And my brother was raised there for at least like three years. And so I was always in a church. My parents were um, pa- uh, worship pastors, worship leaders, and we were always there. And I literally lived in a church, like not, not joking. And so I grew up with it my entire life, but... When I started getting to an age where I was like, okay, I'm doing this, but it's like mostly for good. It's not really for God. It's mostly because I need to, I need to support my parents. I need to help them out with the kids. I need to help them out with um, getting groceries for the church, um, helping them set up for worship, stuff like that. But it wasn't really something I wanted to do. And I had caring parents that wanted me to go to church. And let's be honest, we can go to church and still not be there. If that makes sense, a lot of us know what that feels like. We can go to church and not really be there. But the same thing can be said when we can be good but not godly, if that makes sense as well. Um, same same uh, kind of process. And I have another slide coming up, and it says we can, um, where we go? We, we, can, we can be good, I think it's supposed to say. Uh, sometimes good is just not good enough. That's what it's essentially supposed to say. Sometimes good is just not good enough. And it's not long-lasting. It doesn't hold up. Um, It it can't hold up against a storm. Um, Good blood can sometimes mean absolutely nothing. To me, it created an image of, like, it's like building your house out of straw. And I I felt like, like, like you can have a house, but if a storm comes, that house is not going to last at all. Um, It's made out of straw. So (laughs) knowing that... We could ask the question like, oh, but I'm a good person, or my dad is a good person, my mom's a good person, uh, my brother, my, go- my girlfriend, my, my girlfriend, my girlfriend, my brother, um, we're all good. What about us? And like, we do good things. We don't kind of really sin a lot. <laughs> and we, we ask these things sometimes. And a lot of us have these like questions internally that we kind of like argue with ourselves with um, about. And we're all good and we do good things. And we, we say nice words, we donate, we serve, we attend regularly. Um, we don't sin too much, but we still sin. But we're like in that, that like line of like, oh yeah, we're not like, like them, but we're also not up here yet. And we start to like level ourselves up. But good blood is not a get out of jail free card, if that makes sense. Um, I, I really wanted to stress this tonight. You can be a good person, but never ask the question whether or not you would go to heaven or hell. You can, you can do that your entire life, all the way up to the day you die. You can be a good person, but never ask the question whether or not you'll go to heaven or hell. And let's just be honest. We can get comfortable with being in a safe bubble to where we don't even worry enough to even think about asking the question that big question, whether or not we'd go to heaven or hell. We don't have that stress on us. We don't have that worry because some of us feel like we're really immortal right now. We feel like we're, we, don't, we can't fathom the fact that we could possibly not be here next week. And, and, and it kind of sh- shocks me and scares me at the same time, but I, I, I really like thought in order for me to continue this message, we had to like establish that thought process first. Um, and a process like this, like being comfortable where you are, this is called lukewarm. A lot of y'all know about this process. And it's kind of like that position where you're just, you're just here. You're stagnant. You're not moving. You're just kind of sitting where you are because you're enjoying the ride. And a lot of us, like, I see posts, like, all over Instagram 
um, where people are like, man, I'm just living it up right now. Or I'm like, I'm doing what 20-year-olds 20 20 are doing. I'm having fun. I'm like, man, like, that looks like it's going to get boring. But one of the saddest things that I've noticed without a doubt, like through Chi Alpha and just campus ministries, a lot of students want the good American, like, comfortable dream life. Like, they want that. They want the nice house. They want the degree, the diploma. They want the job. They want the money. And a lot of them also want Jesus. That's not bad. A lot of them want Jesus. But here's Jesus, and here's the good American dream life. And a lot of them, eventually, mostly what I see is people choose that one over the other, over Jesus. And, and it breaks my heart. Um, I've done this before in the past where I've, I've, I've set things above Jesus, above the pedestal. And, and, and we, we gladly take his offering and his gift to let us into his family and his life. But in John um, 1.12, it says right here exactly what it means whenever we take that blessing and we inherit that uh, title for us within uh, God's family. And it says, Son and daughters chosen to be a part of his family, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And we take that and we kind of wear it with pride. We put it on like a shirt. But we reject him and we deny him whenever we have to come to that conclusion that we have to let him into our family. Like, oh God, that's too hard. Have you seen my family? I can't, I, thank you for letting me into your house, but like I kind of can't let you into mine because I got a really crazy uncle and a really crazy aunt and also the rest of the crazy family. Like I have too much going on. You, like, I think it's good if we just keep doing this at your place. Um, it's kind of like that feeling whenever we want to have life groups, but our house is, like, really dirty. And we're like, oh, you want to go to uh, a coffee shop or something? Uh, it feels like that kind of night. It's really God speaking to me on that one. We kind of take that. But um, it's the same concept. Like, we, we go, we take that from God and what he has on our life, and then we kind of turn around and deny it. And we follow God, receive his blood offering, dying for us, but when it comes time to bring them into our family, we, some people just quit there. We follow God, and, and good is not godly. We're not saved by our family's blood. It simply wasn't created for that. It wasn't created to save us. Not, not our family blood. It was not created to, to save us. No one was created to die for us within our family. I, I also don't believe our family is even capable and created to handle that much pain and that much sin for anyone. And so, leaving the good that was supposed to be good, but it sounded really depressing, we're going into the bad in our blood. And that's going to be point number two, which is also really depressing. <laughs> but it, there's light at the end of the tunnel, I promise you. We're going to conclude this. So, so now all of us were born into a really, really good Christian lifestyle. We're not like, our whole family loved Jesus. And we have a, a cross wall on every single wall and on both sides of the hallway, and you feel like it's like clo- enclosing in on you. And you're like, Jesus! Anyways, I'm like digressing. I'm going into like, I'm thinking of my aunt's house. I'm like, oh my gosh. So just like the same with good, there's also bad, obviously. There's bad within our blood. A lot of us come from um, really hurt, broken homes. Um, A lot of us can relate to it, at least. Even if we did come from really good, perfect homes, we can relate because we've also, our parents are humans. We've seen bad happen in our household. Um, we've, we've seen anger, drunkenness, addiction, divorce, abuse, pain, and chaos. That doesn't even come to the word good. It doesn't come close to the word good. 
Um, and I've also met several good, loving friends in Chi Alpha that have come from ungodly homes. And I've seen them kind of step out of that. And it's really, really cool to see that, that process. And one of them, um, not one of them, he's a guy that y'all don't even know. So I made up a name for him because I can do that. I'm the author of the story and I, I have the mic. So my friend, I have a friend who, he, I asked him if I could share a little bit of his story. And he said, yeah, sure, do go for it. Um, so his name for the sake of the story, the brief story, is Bilbo Baggins. And so Bilbo Baggins, Bilbo Baggins and I have been friends since over seven years. And we've literally been really good, close, best friends since, like, seventh grade, basically. And I remember when we first met, and, like, it was just, like, random. We were, like, talking in one of our theater classes or our debate class. And we were sitting there talking about, like, who we were and, like, oh, who are you? I was like, I didn't even go to junior high here. And he's like, whoa, me neither. And he's like, I'm adopted. I was like, wow, nice to meet you, adopted. It was, like, really, like, like really upfront. Anyways, and he's a really, really good guy. But, um... A couple months passed, and, like, we got to, like, actually hang out, and we got to, like, really become good friends, uh, had uh, sleepovers with a bunch of other friends, and we went and did really, really dumb stuff together. Um, he's the guy that I'm like, hey, let's, like, not say anything when we're around anyone. Um, we were just, like, that close of friends, and, and I remember him talking about, like, he would joke about his family, where he came from, and he was like, yeah, I don't even know my dad, blah, 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 and so, like, we kind of started talking about that because I was, like, asking him where he was at the moment. And he was, in a, he was adopted already at the time. Um, his adopted dad was a really heavy, heavily drinker. And his adopted mom was, I don't want to say, like, okay, she was, she was really crazy. She was, just like, really, really up there. And she would, like, make a scene for every single thing that could possibly happen. She would, like, like you could, like, sharpen your pencil and the pencil, like, the lead would fall out. And she'd go, oh, my gosh. Like, something really small would, like push everything off, and I remember us sitting there, and I'm like, man, like, do you ever, like, wonder where, like, your parents are, like, your real parents, and um, his mom was, was out of the picture, she had passed away, and um, his dad, he, he didn't really understand where his dad was. When, when you're adopted, there's, a, there, there's some things that kind of restrict you from doing everything. He, he couldn't, he didn't, he had information kind of withheld from him until he turned 18 years old. He didn't know everything about his mom or his dad, um, he didn't know where his dad was or where he was living, how he could find him, if he was still where that address had said on the sheet. But I remember when we talked, he told me that he was just going to go and, like, try to find his dad. And, and he, like, did this whole, like, um, he, he did, like, this writing page that he created slash, like, poems and stuff about that process, but also recording everything to um, make a documentary out of it and, and, and share it with the world in the future. But I remember him calling me um, and, like, posting all over Facebook and Instagram, like, oh, I found my dad, and I saw pictures of his dad, and I was like, whoa, like, it was crazy to put a face to the picture of what I had saw and what we were talking about years ago, and, and he met him, and he got to spend a few days with him, and he talked about how his dad had transformed. He used the word transformed. His dad was, he does not remember his dad as a child. He was, like, five, but he remembers enough to where he goes, that was a bad person, but now he notices that his dad has transformed into a whole different person. And, and sadly and unexpectedly, um, around the 11th of last month, his father had passed away. He got to spend a few months, I think four months with his father, off and on, um, to get to know him. And, and, and not knowing what his bloodline had in store for him after that, as of now, it's still a little too early to tell either. Um, we talked earlier today, 
and he seems a little bit better, but our, our past can blur us and confuse us to where we can get lost and act as if nothing matters or let it control our lives completely. Knowing um, the, the future that is in store for us, what can be bad in our bloodline, and this is on the next slide, what can be bad in our bloodline can turn toward God's godly good. And um, in the future, that's kind of what makes it hard for us to be defined by that in the present. If that, it, and I know it's kind of confusing, but what can be bad in our bloodline at the time where it's not, it, it's not where we think it should be, it's really, de- it's really dark, um, like how his dad was, if we're going to use my friend as the example. We, we can have that, and then it transforms into good. And, and that's really cool to see, but it's hard because it kind of defined him his entire life. And just like the good in our blood, and how it's not good enough to save us, the bad isn't good enough to keep us from being saved. So, let that soak in. Like The good in our blood is not good enough to save us, but the bad is not enough to keep us from being saved. Our family's made mistakes. We've made mistakes. We know that. And because of, um, because of all of that, that's not going to stop us from, uh, from being loved by Christ. And also what we go through is some, sometimes what we've chosen to go through. It's not always a coincidence or always um, by by our fault, or it could be our parents' fault, but they choose to do that. And then we choose to, to react and behave the same way. Some things are not governed by our capabilities and abilities. We were just kind of born into it. And so are, so was our parents. And like I said, there is going to be good news tonight. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And it's basically, it's the good news. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. And we're going to go on to the third one, the last one, and that's the God in our blood. And in order for us to do this, and the best way I could do it to make sense is, and y'all can come up for those, I'm going to use a demonstration. I'm going to use a few people to come up here, and we're going to kind of look at how we can physically see what Jesus Christ has done for us. So I'm calling up a few guys to come up here on stage. Um, y'all just come up here and line up kind of behind me, facing each other. I mean, not facing each other, facing away from each other. Your hands are going to be on the person in front of you on their shoulder. <laughs> okay, no, 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 no. So you put your hand there. You put your hand there. There you go. Okay, so what we have here is a bloodline lined up through, um, through generation to generation. Every person represents a link in the chain. So every person right here is going to, they mean something. They play a part in all of this. So a chain in our life that basically, uh, this it's going to restrain us, identify us, claim us, and simply just keep us in bondage. Um, every guy in this link is going to represent something. This, represent, I mean, this person right here is going to represent depression. Uh, depression and then addiction, drug use um, from us or our parents, our self esteem, um, our self worth, all of these negative things that kind of keep us bondage. And like the same way, there's that song that Jesus broke every chain. And I was kind of listening to that. And I was like, man, like I want, I want to know like what does each link on the chain, what does each each piece of metal represent on that chain that Jesus broke? And this was like the best way that I could think of it. And Looking at this, I got to understand that, I'm sorry about that, Whoa. 
I breathe. I'm sorry. So, uh, so every person right here represents something. Then you got to think about the things that are within our bloodline, in our blood. What go, what's bad in blood? Viruses. So I thought about like all of these things that are kind of placed into our lives that we deal with, that we feed ourselves with, is basically the virus within our bloodline. It's the thing that we kind of, we go, oh yeah, that person said I was worth nothing. Uh, it, it didn't affect me. It didn't hurt me that bad. And we kind of claim that. But in reality, it's already in our bloodstream. You can have a virus and not fully notice it or feel it right at the moment. It'll take time. It'll take time to seep in. And it, it'll ultimately lead to, to some really negative things like death. Or it could lead to internal sickness. It could lead to you, know, you being in a coma. It could, it could be all these things that just ultimately hurt us for, um, for, for a permanent time period. But if we look at this, and if we look at... Have you ever been Jesus before? You have? Because if you have, you're going to start a revelation right now. Okay, so he's never been Jesus before. He's going to be Jesus tonight. So what Jesus did was, and, and one thing that I want you to notice, like, one, one of these things could come down. You can, we're holding hands. One of these things can come down. You could totally start or begin or have a process. Like, let's say you go to a summer camp, uh, a summer youth camp, or you go to SALT that we, we do in Chi Alpha, or you go to any of these church events, and you're like, wow, that changed my life. Like, let's say you're dealing with, like, a drug use or something. And it's like, wow, like, that really affected me. I don't, like, I, and, like, he kind of just, like, I kind of stopped doing drugs a little bit, but there's still a link connected to it. Does that make sense? So he, since he's Jesus, gonna, Jesus ultimately came, and him shedding the blood, him sacrificing himself and dying for us on the cross, him doing that, uh, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of the rest of it being connected, right? It kind of separates, there is a gap right here from us being connected to that, that old part of us. Does that make sense? So Jesus Christ coming here, shedding that blood, allows us, we can look at it like this, like it's Abraham, the seed that he has, the promises, and his descendants, and it's Abraham all the way up to when Jesus Christ is born. And we, as Gentiles, were not allowed to be in this bloodline. We weren't Jewish. But Jesus comes and he dies on the cross. And he opens us into the family. We're automatically a part of that. That blood is paid for us for that. All right, thanks, guys. I'm going to sit down. We're not going to stay up here. That'd be weird. But So I hope that kind of, that demonstration helped you all a little bit. But, <laughs> but basically... Jesus doing that for us and paying that price, that, that reminds me of the bloodstock agents whenever they were kind of like, wow, this, this cult, it literally just looks like a baby, tiny little horse. It doesn't look like any, it doesn't even look like it could stand. We all know what that looks like. And they're like, ooh. So it's standing there and he's just like, takes his checkbook out and writes a check for it right then and there. Pays, pays. And for no reason. And, and if we're going to look at where we find our self-worth or our value, I think we would find our value from the bloodstock agent, all right? The person who paid that amount, the person who paid that price should be the one we get our value from. We wouldn't get our value from someone who had never paid a price for us, if that makes sense. He put a price on us and he says, you are worth this, you are worth everything. He literally died for us and said, you are worth that. And, And he broke those chains. And we... With him doing that, released us from our sin. It, we are no longer slaves to sin. 
Just like the song says, we don't have to stay attached, and our sin does not define us. Opening his arm destroys our connections tied to those things due to our families or us, our mess-ups. And, and the thing that kind of affected me the most was um, out of doing this demonstration was he did this to restore us and to make us a part of a new bloodline. He did it to, to make us a part of a new bloodline, a new family, and also a new covenant, to be involved with all of these things. And that helps us define who we are. That helps us define who we are. We are worth it all. Why? Because he paid it all. How? Uh, because he gave it all. And, and, and to be a part of it all. Jesus, um, I have it right here. Um, Jesus, he, he made us righteous. And he made us able to be a part of it all. Um, to spend eternity with him with, in heaven. And also, which... On the how, because Jesus gave it all. That's John 3, 16. Um, a lot of y'all already know that verse, which is really good. I would highly recommend to read it. You can get it on a necklace like anywhere, like at probably Walgreens or something. Um, but what we're invited to and what we're offered to accept, uh, we are significant just like the small cult. It, it is planned, predetermined, and it is examined by our creator. And we're in the right bloodline. We're in the right bloodline. And I hope this, to close this up a little bit, I, I hope that this gives you, I can't give you all the answers within the time that I was told to give it to you, but I hope you feel encouraged to go like seek any of these parts out that you're, that you're going through within your life. Uh, maybe things that like you just, you really want to answer like what's the bad in your blood or what's the good in your blood. But examining our, examining our bloodline helps us know the sacrifice that a man took and to basically to give his life for years. I've never had anyone die for me before. I've never thought of anyone ever wanting to die for me before. I, I don't think that's a normal thought to go like, man, I wonder who would die for me. That's just weird. But I've never had anyone die for me before. But for Jesus to like literally like jump in front of a gun and take a bullet for us, that, that kind of means a lot to me. And it really, it meant a lot for me to kind of want to share this idea that I had with you tonight. For me, he, he died for the person that you love. He died for the person that you hate. He died for literally all of us because we're worth it all. And we're part of his family now. Some, some quick verses that kind of verify that and give us confirmation on that is Ephesians 1. Um, there we go. Ephesians 1, uh, verse 4. Holy and blameless and chosen. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And I, I just I really like that it says the word chosen in there. And then 2 Corinthians uh, 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. And our creation in him rede- uh, redeemed us. It made us worthy. And, and I'm not saying forget your past um, and where you come from, but don't live by it and and don't live through it and don't live from it live by god's word live through his holy spirit and from jesus's sacrifice and to conclude this all to finish this off for tonight i I know that tonight was a lot i really know it was a lot of information that i try to cover but i hope it shared to someone what your value is um the importance of you and your significance as well it helped me and at the end of it all 
our family is in our bloodline still. They're not apart from us as well. Um, they're not apart from us, but Jesus, our family is our bloodline, but Jesus is the blood. Does that make sense? Jesus is the blood, and he shed that blood. He deserves that. He gave and handed his life over for that and to replace and take our spot. So in all of this tonight, we define the good in our blood, that sometimes good is just not good enough, um, that, it was, that our family wasn't created to take that for us. We define the bad in us, in our blood, and, and we know that that's not enough to keep us from being saved. And we talked about the godly blood, the royal blood that's with, that was shed for us, um, and, and that it is enough to save us. So 